0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: What up? Pat Mayo here bringing you bonus content. On a Friday, we recorded this on Tuesday evening, so one of the fights that was off the card is now on the card, but Paul's away, so I stepped in as the host of the Dogger Pass podcast this week with Cody Saftik, my old roommate, my buddy, and the guy who's on Mayo Media Network every single week. you You should sub to the Dogger Pass podcast if you've never done that before and you enjoy UFC because it comes out for every single card. Now, me, I don't know a ton about the UFC but Cody does so the entire time he's talking I'm just basically placing bets so I assume that's what you're going to do too so enjoy the weekend and enjoy the show welcome to another edition of the dogger pass podcast presented by prize picks no friends I am not Paul Shaughnessy. I am Pat Mayo. Paul is off this week, so I'm stepping up and in for Paul as we break down UFC 292, try to get the right bets, maybe try to hit every fight on the card, because that would be really nice, because I'm actually going to bet it this week, because I'm on the show. I would like to win by listening to Cody. And if you use code DOP at Prizepicks.com, you get a deposit match of up to $100. I'll try to put together a, a triple P, Pat's Prize Picks. I was going to say that other P, but they told me not to say that P is it, you know, it's not, it's not overs and unders it's, it's hires and lowers when you get to prize picks. We'll try to find some good props for you up there as well. Cody Safdick, it, you were involved in, I want to say my favorite Twitter exchange of all time last week. And I just stumbled across it and it was amazing. And I know that you use Twitter for like three hours a week, which I got to tell you is like very enviable, but do you know what I'm talking about by the way? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. The guy was talking to me, telling me about me. Yeah, you like Cody Saftic said that. Oh wait, I, I just wore, I put on my hat. So in case people are not like familiar with me, I'll make them pretty familiar and like try to get Paul's hat down. Is that about right for Paul? Or is it, like, yeah, they like always this? complain
2: in the comment section about Pat's or about Paul's hat. Either it's crooked or it doesn't fit him properly. But I noticed if you do go to the comment section. A uh, lo- lot of people are on to Paul and his hat game, to be honest with you.
1: Like they're on to it like they like it or they like he should wear it like this, like he's is uh, watching recess in the mid 90s.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, I think they want answers more than anything.
1: I mean, that that could work out. LeagueSafe.com, by the way. If you have a friend who's going to steal all your money in a fantasy league, uh, don't let him do that. Use LeagueSafe instead. That's where you keep your money set. I'm going to put this up behind us here in a second. Let's talk about the main event. Get right into it. Aljamain Sterling is a, what is he here? Minus 260 favorite. Sean O'Malley plus 220 over four and a half rounds is juiced up to plus 150. Right now, what do you make of the fight? Yeah, well, I think you
2: got to go with Aljamain Sterling. He's currently the champion, obviously, of the division. And he's got, like, a good run going. He's got most consecutive title defenses at Bannon Winner. He's tied with most defenses. Most consecutive wins. When he's beating these guys, it's, you know, maybe not the most entertaining performances for the casual fans. But I think for the purists, he's just dominating them. His grappling seems to be a notch above. His wrestling seems to be a notch above. His speed's a notch above. Striking, yeah, he's an excellent striker. But again, so high with the ring IQ that he's not just going to get lulled into these stupid striking exchanges. So, A Lot of the time when you're going to dominate people, uh, not saying that people are just going to hate you, but they're going to find you boring. People found George St. Pierre boring, you just lay and praise these guys. People found Khabib Nurmagomedov boring in the early portion of his career, just lays in these guys. People find John Jones boring. Oh, he just stands at range and picks them apart. But those are some of the greatest guys ever, not just the best action fighters, but like the all around legends of the game. So with Al it's it's hard to hate on him too much. O'Malley, meanwhile, is just an excellent character. He's a fan favorite, he's an entertainer. He dyes his hair, he talks all type of nonsense and for the most part he does back it up in the cage he's an excellent striker he moves well he trains out of a very good gym in arizona the mma lab with excellent coaching and excellent training partners so he generally does come in shape he's long for the division he hits hard and he's also kind of like unorthodox so it's hard for opponents to get a read on him if this was a straight kickboxing match again algeme sterling's a little bit faster in my opinion his punches are a lot straighter a lot more linear like maybe he can do well against O'Malley in striking exchanges but if it's a kickboxing match yeah, O'Malley's going to have plenty of opportunities to land the heavier punches. He's got more knockout power. He's got equal amounts of power in his left and right hand, and he kicks pretty hard as well. So I could see if that was the case. Yeah, O'Malley could be considered the better striker than, than Aljamain Sterling. But this is an MMA fight, and you're allowed to wrestle. And if that's the case, I just feel like Aljamain Sterling is able to get him down when he wants, outgrapples grapples him, takes his back, backpacks him. If he can rear naked choke him, great. If not, just hold on to the position. And again, it might not be the most aesthetically pleasing thing for the fans but i just think he just kills time off the clock wins rounds and eventually you're fighting out of a hole so o'malley in the lead up he's very confident in that i can knock out anybody if i land And his coaches and his training partners everybody they're not not saying oh man sean's been killing everybody in the gym you better watch out oh sean's that next big thing people just don't know they're all saying like yeah he's gonna punch his chance it doesn't yell a whole lot of confidence it yells that they know what kind of spot this is Sean O'Malley is going to get paid a million dollars to headline this UFC pay-per-view and then after that his stock even in defeat won't really get hurt that much he just lost to one of the greatest bantamweights weights of all time he'll go back to the pecking order and make more money to entertain against different types of guys but I like Aljamain Sterling and I really like this line now who likes a minus 260 line Pat like it's still pretty deep but I think 100% what's baked into it is That hate factor, people just don't like Aljamain Sterling and they really like Sean O'Malley. So they're not willing to go lay a three to one on Aljo. They're just going to throw a couple bucks and hope Sean O'Malley goes out and knocks him out. He's very popular. He runs a very successful podcast. He's got a merchandise line. He's the sugar show. Everybody loves the guy and no doubt about it that he's going to be taking a lot of support on the money line because of that. But that's just giving Aljamain Sterling better uh, betters a better number. And I'm going to be one of those guys. So he's going to top ticket this week because one, I do like him. Two, there's three or four bigger favorites on the card that don't scream that much better than Aljamain Sterling. This is a much better price. And of course, because it's the headliner, you could just hedge out at the end of the night if you wanted to. So the pick for me is Sterling. You mentioned the over-under, plus 150 on a four and a half. Don't mind it because Aljamain, not a lightning prey kind of guy, but he mostly just kills time off the clock. That being said, like if it's a huge grappling discrepancy, Al Jermaine probably does submit him at some point if it's if if for whatever reason the sugar shows for real that went over Peter Yan was legit it wasn't a fluke it wasn't a robbery this guy is the real deal and he he's not going to outpoint Sterling I don't think I think he would catch him like a lot of the people backing him think he might do so uh, screams to me probably inside the distance and I'm just not super comfortable with betting an inside the distance on this main event so I will just take that straight up Sterling try to parlay it with a few things.
1: So I'm just looking at prize picks right now. Uh, The over under, uh, sorry, more or less on fight time is 18 and a half minutes. So it's quite down from what you see at the overall betting line of four and a half rounds. That's what, three and a half rounds? Although that seems to be right around kind of the midpoint of what you were just saying. And then takedowns for Sterling is set at three. From what you've kind of described, that sounds like the more than three would probably be the key unless he just submits them right away
2: yeah no i would take the more than three because again sterling is very low percentage i think he's got like 28 percent takedown accuracy so people that just look at numbers would be like oh damn this guy's not a very good wrestler but it's all about the chain wrestling is that he'll throw out many takedown attempts to land you with that one so again I, i think that o'malley could maybe get back up to his feet o'malley might be able to survive a couple rounds to me it would suggest that sterling's gonna have to be in good shape ready to wrestle five rounds and goes out there and scores more than three takedowns so i i would i would like that in terms of the uh oh, the you know the more or less on the fight time it getting into a third round a fourth round with sterling in the fights that he has that big grappling advantage over whether it's a one arm tj dillashaw or whether it's a Corey sanhagen like he is capable of going and outclassing these guys quickly and with o'malley you haven't really seen him tested on the ground too much i mean he himself is compromised in his fight with marlon Cheeto vera but he got drubbed. He got uh, dribbled his head off the mat in that fight. So not not a great not a great spot. Um, yeah, I would say Aljamain might look like a million bucks if he takes him to the ground and smashes him. But but to me, if you're looking at both guys historically, and this is a big spot, and they're both going to be ready, and they're both going to be in good shape, probably gets to a third or fourth round, hits that over three takedowns, maybe hits the prize picks over. I just don't know if I like the over four and a half rounds overall.
1: That makes sense. To me, uh, to quote Paul, moving on down. We're going to Wiley Zhang, Amanda, Zang, Amanda Limos. Uh Zhang is minus 300, is a giant three to one favorite. And then we have Limos at plus 250. The over under for rounds is set at three and a half to the over is plus 170. So I guess they're trying to tell us that they think this is going to be a finish in in probably like two and a half rounds based on what these odds are telling us right now. I want to remind everyone who's out there right now, if you're watching the video version, get it on the podcast version for the dog or past podcast, Apple or Spotify hit the description for that. Or if you love football, betting on football and people yelling at each other, couldn't recommend the Pat Mayo experience more then I can because, you know, I am Pat Mayo. So go download the Pat Mayo experience. Give us a run here because fantasy football season, football betting season is upon us. Where are you going with this? Is there a chance for an upset here? Because you know, and the people out there know, I love me some of my favorite women's MMA underdogs.
2: So that's what I was going to say. I think the champion Zhang Waile goes out and does what she does best, and that's just dominate. I mean, she's pretty much, I always call, uh, I don't always call, but some fighters are just generalists. Like, they're generally good at wrestling, they're generally good at striking, generally got good cardio. She's an advanced generalist. She's a perfectionist. I mean, she's got very high-level striking, very high-level wrestling, very high-level cardio. And outside of maybe one fight with Rose Nama Yunus, the first one, uh, very good durability as well. So Zhang Waile, even though she's 34 years old, is very much the complete package, and uh, I am very much so a big fan. Amanda Lemos, 36 years old, and just not impressed with her, never been impressed with her. I think this is champion all day, Zang YLA Cruises. And then you bring up an excellent point women's MMA, the most unpredictable of all of the MMA, Pat Mayo, because like the, you got to expect that unexpected. And I've got a 34 year old versus a 36 year old in a five round fight. I don't know, like anything could happen. But here's here's my grievance with Amanda Lemos. She took a lot of time off when she first came to the UFC. She wasn't like super active, kind of bounced around. And then her wins. All super low level, man. Miranda Granger, Mizuki Inouye, Liviana Souza, Montserrat Ruiz. That's all bottom of the barrel right there. First step up in competition, they give her Angela Hill, gatekeeper to the top 10. Girl that's fought, gatekeeper to the top five. But, you know, she is what she is, serviceable at best. And that was a close fight, one that Angela Hill may have won. I kind of thought Angela Hill won, split decision win. To me, it showed the limitations. She can crush the lower level fighters all day, but at the higher level, she's going to struggle. And again, not a young prospect, not someone I can foresee getting a whole lot better, making a whole bunch of improvements. So I'm not super high on her. Now, the Michelle Watterson fight. Michelle Watterson's, you know, you're a fan of her. She's on the challenge. She's a mega babe. She's got skills. She's got talent. She's got fans. She's also at the tail end of her career. So a win over her looks good. Not necessarily the biggest thing to me. And again, she finishes her early in the second round, like not overly tested, but then she gets Marina Rodriguez. Oh, and for the record, after the first round of the Michelle Watterson fight, the place is just booing because it's a terrible first round. Super low pace, super tentative. She subs her in the second round. Then her fight with Marina Rodriguez, she loses the first round, takes her down in the second round. Not a great fight. The place is starting to boo again. It's super low volume. It's not very entertaining. It's not very exciting. And then she knocks her out in the third round. So to me, she's on paper... Looks a good fighter on paper. She's coming off a couple of wins inside the distance a knockout win over Marina Rodriguez, a submission win over Michelle Waterson. You know, she fought Jessica and although that loss is not aging well because Jessica and is also at the tail end of her career. I think it looks a lot better than it realistically is. And with Zhang Wai uh you know what you're going to get out of her, which is 25 minutes. You, she can fight the 25 minutes, something you don't know if Lemos can even do. But beyond that, she can out wrestle her. She can out strike her. She's just a lot more veteran savvy. She's been in the spot. And if you were a little bit worried that she's 34, again, she's still younger than Amanda Lemo. So you could do a lot worse. Uh, Women's MMA has a a tendency to kick me in the ass. But in this spot, yeah, I can't go against the champ.
1: So if we're taking a look at prize picks for the champ in this, instead of trying to like eat the minus 300 for this, do you think it goes to the distance or yes or no?
2: Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say, yeah.
1: Okay, because I was thinking with a with the I mean, the over three and a half rounds is plus 170. So you can almost get two to one on your money if it does go the distance. Let's say it doesn't go the distance. It's a five round fight that if Wiley can knock her out early, then the under 60 and a half significant strike seems pretty good and just knock her out right away.
2: Yeah, and again, with Zhang Yilei, like there's certain performances where she looks indestructible and smokes them in the first round. Maybe that's one of them, but I think Lemo she's got a track record of at least being able to take a punch, probably does take the punches and probably does get taken down and probably does survive somewhere into that third or fourth round. And if it gets that far, it's probably going the distance, to be honest. So I would lean towards fight goes the distance, but if you can hit an over three and a half at good odds, like
1: you're saying, yeah, I would be for it. Yeah, before that and on prize picks right now, the fight time is 15 and a half minutes so that's just basically can you get the third round to serve the fourth round to start and all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're looking a lot better and i'm not loving the prize picks so far maybe we can find some greasy ones down the curve that i can throw on to the very end of it because that'd be very nice i just opened up my prospects account first time since usfl ended that i've done it and i have a ton of money in here i'd like to add Ooh. to that and you know be able to pay off for some of my regular betting losses that's how we'd be always be nice next one ian gary minus 400 neil magny plus 300, three to one underdog in this fight over under rounds is one and a half. The over already juiced up to minus 180. The under at plus 150. What do you like in this fight?
2: Yeah, so, this one, it's not a matter of you like Ian Gary. It's just at uh, what point are you going to pay up to it? Like, minus 400 definitely does seem very steep. So, uh, there's kind of two categories of fans. There's people that just outright hate Ian Gary, and there's people that are realizing that the kid's still very young, very develop- uh, still developing, but very talented. Uh, similar to a Conor McGregor. He's got this aura to him and this, you know, this kind of chip on his shoulder and he talks one hell of a game and people just generally want to see him lose. And I think there's been a lot of Ian Gary faders from fight to fight, but he always ends up being these big favorites. And it's just a matter of like, at what point is Ian Gary shit in your apple pie? So, again, the results have been there for him. His debut against Jordan Williams, he's losing the first round till a bonehead mistake by Williams at the end of the first. It's a win, just didn't look great. His fight with Darian Weeks, he got taken down. He got controlled for almost three minutes by Darian Weeks, who's no longer with the promotion. Yeah, he won, but he didn't look great. His fight with Gabe Green, it's a sloppy brawl. He wins, he drops Gabe Green, but he can't put him away. Green hits him with 90 significant strikes. It's a win, just doesn't look great. His fight with Song Kanong, Song Kanong's a bomb. And for the record, Ian Gary's is like a minus 1,600 favorite over Son Kanan. Son Kanan. drops him clean, clean knockdown in the first round. Gary ends up taking all the way to the third round to get this guy out of there. And Son Kanan hadn't fought in two years. You know, Chinese, not even a prospect. He's like in his late 30s, um, mid 30s, maybe early 30s. Nah, I think it's mid 30s. All the same. The wins are there, but it's a, it's a matter of he talks so much shit and then barely wins these fights or wins them with some type of adversity, I think that's why you're getting a lot of pushback. Now, in this spot, he's supposed to take on Jeff Neal originally. Jeff Neal's coming off a couple big, big wins, looks to be reinvented, um, is a massive power puncher. If you thought Son Kanan hit hard, wait until you face Jeff Neal. And he was really poking and prodding at Jeff Neal, pissing him off for a month leading up to the fight. So I think it had fans' interest. Jeff Neal got hurt. Neil Magny comes in and yeah now now it's just like a lot of the steam's been taken off of it but this kid's doing a great job of trying to sell pay-per-views and try to market himself the UFC likes what they get what they get and I thought Jeff Neal maybe a little bit more than you can handle right now but with Magny potentially a softer matchup depending on how the kid plays it I think he wins just minus 400 I don't like now why could Neil Magny spring this upset as a plus 300 favorite or uh, as a plus 300 underdog. Well, it would come down to the grappling for me. So Magny again has been much of a gatekeeper for the majority of his career. And he's a little bit older now, 35 years old, but he does an excellent job at mostly neutralizing opponents and mixing in some wrestling. He's got good takedowns over high level guys. And he's been largely able to control a lot of these guys in these clinch type situations up against the cage, kill time off the clock. He's got some okay kickboxing, decent little body kick, long rangey guy uh, stands tall, but has a big long range. So maybe he's got some tools that could pose gary problems gary meanwhile he kind of gives up takedowns to way worse guys than neil magny if you look at him in the ufc he's rocking a i want to say it's a 63 percent takedown defense he gave up takedowns twice to song canon he gave a takedown to gabe green he gave up a takedown to darian weeks in the weeks fight and the gabe green fight he gave up about three minutes of control time in both of them so that doesn't bode well good at all here. Neil Magny trains at altitude in Colorado. He's always game to go a hard 15 minutes. His cardio is generally good. and He's got better wrestling than those guys. So it's plausible that he gets the takedowns or at the very least is able to tie him up and neutralize him, which would be a problem if you're betting Ian Gary a minus 400. To me, it comes down to Magny's been around for a long time and what he was capable of doing two years ago, he doesn't seem to be capable of doing anymore he's coming off if I'd never seen that last fight against Phil Rowe maybe I'd be able to get behind him but that last fight with Phil Rowe it looked awful cardio looked worse than it ever had scores zero takedowns on Phil Rowe who's a terrible defensive wrestler comes down to like a squeaker of a decision which Phil Rowe very may well have won and they gave it to Neil Magny I'm not gonna say he looked washed he just did not look himself and to think that taking this fight on short notice he's somehow gonna be reinvigorated can't really get behind it um so yeah, I, I I would take Gary now minus four hundred again. It's just not a money line that I love inside the distance. If Magny's completely washed, sure inside the distance. This it almost feels like an inside the distance. But yeah, the guy's just like way savvier. He's a veteran. He's been around with way better guys than Ian Gary. He's gone the distance with way better guys than Ian Gary. So. Chances are, this is going to be more of a bog of a fight. Uh, Gary will try to look spectacular and will probably do enough to squeak it out and win a decision. Just don't love that money line. So, you're a PRP better and you're going to bet this entire thing, Gary's going to be on it at some point. He said he doesn't add a whole lot of value to the top. So, you're trying to get him in, you know, third line ish, fourth line, maybe.
1: Well, here's the problem now. I, I just checked at DraftKings and well, the consensus line is still hanging out around minus 400 at DraftKings Sportsbook. It's already up to minus 450 for Gary. So I would expect that if there's already that sort of movement, making it a bigger and bigger and bigger number already, this might be like minus 500 by the time Saturday rolls around.
2: Yeah. you know what? I, I would think so too. There's still going to be money rolling in because it is a big pay-per-view and it's a loaded card. Even the prelims are good. So You get the feel that someone like Gary is going to end up just taking money. And listen, I love betting big favorites on parlays, but if people are going to maybe fall into the potential trap of just taking the the big four, putting them on one ticket and going through, it's like which one of the big four is more likely to shit in the apple pie? Uh, A young guy like Gary, who's had no real steps up in competition, taking on a a tough, savvy, long-in-the-tooth gatekeeper like Neil Mangy, there's potential threat there. But because of that fan favoriteness and because of the uh, the pre-fight press conferences and the weigh-ins, Gary will continue to likely get support in the market.
1: All right. And I'm looking at the price picks. just based on the way that you've described this, I think this is the first one that really leaps out to me because it works in both directions, I think, from what you've said. So significant strikes for the future. Ian Gary is set at 57 and a half. And in both the ways that you've described it, if Magny's kind of washed, maybe he just gets dropped early and you know, you're know you not going to get more than 57 and a half significant strikes if someone else has a first round knockout or it goes the other way and Magny's a problem with you know just taking him down holding him there it's hard to punch a guy significantly when he's holding you to the ground so to me the under of the 57 and a half actually seems like a pretty good play
2: yeah, and again, not bad. And Ian Gary, when he's able to style on guys, sure he can put up over a hundred. But I think you're right in this spot with Neil Magny. If he hits him, it'll be closer to the Daniel Rodriguez fight, where he don't need to hit him a whole lot of times. He can find the mark, hurt this older veteran type fighter, and maybe put him away. Uh, and if the fight just ends up being on the ground, then yeah, Neil Magny is going to tie him up. If they're up against the cage, what's a significant strike? A little knee to the to the leg. Those don't usually count, and stuff like prize picks, stuff like DraftKings, stuff like a lot of the fantasy players won't take those little short little shots as significant strikes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I I think you're probably onto something, and I think the general person would believe this fight's going to go 15, Neil Magny's going to try to cling on to him, Ian Gary's going to throw up big numbers. That's possible, too, but Ian Gary's at a full camp and is ready to be that breakout thing, and had accepted a fight with Jeff Neal before this fight with Neil Magny, so he's going to be chomping at the bit, ready to go out there and handle business. And Magny's been swarmed before by guys that are a lot more athletic and a lot faster than him, which Ian Gary, he fits both of those. uh, He fits the criteria in both those things. He seems to be a lot quicker than him. He's got that athleticism. And if he gets the jump on him, he he could potentially just take him out early. Hit that under for you on prize picks.
1: Well, that's the leader in the clubhouse at the moment. Once again, code DOP for Dogger Pass podcast at Prizepicks.com if it is available in your state which it should be just click on click on the link down in the description bring you right there deposit match of up to 100 dollars off the plays at the end uh, but that's the leader in the clubhouse right now to start this off
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
1: super mario batista against Damon blackshear there's no odds on this fight is this a last second replacement
2: yeah so batista was initially going to fight cody garbrandt which is kind of a marquee fight garbrandt's a former champion he's kind of got a big following so i think people were super excited for that Damon blackshear fought last week so paul and i broke down in fight one week ago he actually was the top ticket this week like he was the most confident play was a Started off at like minus 240, took some support, went off somewhere around minus 300 and then looked every bit of it. He scored like the second or third, only the second or third twister. I think it was the third twister in UFC history. So very rare submission. BJJ Black Belt absolutely dominates, takes zero damage against Jose Johnson and then picks up the phone and says, you know what, I'll jump right back in there. So he's taking it on short notice. And I think that is kind of baked into the to the line. But you're saying there's no line available.
1: So. You make the line. I... What, what what would you make this line? And then by okay, the time okay. the people watch this, like you know, 12 hours later, there's going to be a line. So either you're going to be dead on or you're going to look foolish to it.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Well, personally, but I will say I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit tainted already because I did see the topology votes with something like 85% of them were going with Batista. So in my mind, Batista's is probably going to open as like a minus 240, minus 260 favorite. Um, and I think he should probably be in the range of, like, minus 200, minus 210. is super underrated in that he's got a draw against use of Zalal in his first fight. He had a competitive decision against Boschrat in his second fight. He beats Lacerda in his third fight. Now he just picks up a quick little win. But the maybe the jury's still out on him, whether he's an elite fighter. Whereas Bautista's got a lot of heat, was supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt. How's the full camp? naturally he's just going to be the much bigger favorite it's just personally i think blackshirt could go out there and give him a much harder time like this is a card that the lines have been out for a while they're very high profile bouts and like it's hard to disagree with the favorites the favorites have been put in place the market has already steamed them in the direction that they need to be going and you do get a feel that it's like well which one of these favorites is going to be the one to do it on paper, what's not to like against Bautista? The guy's extremely athletic, moves well, good wrestler, and that's going to be key here. I think his wrestling's better than Blackshear's. So Blackshear, BJJ, Black Belt, excellent top game, but he's not going to likely be able to take down Mario Batista. And if he can't take down Mario Batista, then he's playing into Batista's game. Batista's a better striker. He's got better leg kicks. He's faster, quick little boxing combinations, and of course, he's not an idiot on the ground. I think he could score takedowns and maybe play on on Blackshear or uh, play on top. Of blackshear for a little bit save himself if blackshear's on top problem blackshear on his bottom maybe not quite as big of a problem so so what's blackshear what's the redeeming qualities there well again on paper he's taking the fight on a week's notice but he just trained he had a full training camp went out there did the damn thing got paid got paid twice show money win money check from venom zero damage still in shape fought for three and a half minutes jumps back in there. So I think he'd be as ready as anything. Then for Batista or for Blackshear, oh, he's got a short notes replacement. Same thing for Batista. What does he know about him? Did he watch the fight a week ago? Is he able to formulate an excellent game plan over the course of a week? Was everything he was getting ready to do against Cody Garbrandt not out the window? So it throws a wrench in his plan. If he's a big favorite, you know, that is at least something to think about. But this is actually the key reason I'm thinking Blackshear might have a chance of going out there and doing the damn thing is uh with mario batista he seems to be like a quick finisher he likes to finish guys very quickly uh last three fights guido canetti first round rear naked choke benito lopez first round arm bar Callher, first round rear naked choke uh his losses he won the first round against trevin jones and then he gets iced in the second he moves well he's a good fighter it seems like he likes to get it out of there first round first round and a half the longer this thing goes he opens himself up Blacks here by no means is a power puncher, so I don't know that he's able to go out there and clip Batista, but if he can tire him out in that first round, if he can drag him into some deeper waters in the second, you don't really see a Batista uh, in the third round looking as good, you know, he's prone to make some more mistakes, he's prone to maybe lose that second round and then be tired in the third round and lose the third round, like, it's all to me interesting, but... But I still, I still got to take Batista again. I just think he is the better fighter. The what ifs of what if this thing gets extended. Well, listen, I'm sure he was ready for that. He was getting ready for a much bigger fight. He's on a three fight winning streak. He's 30 years old. At some point, he's going to have to piss or get off the pot. And that's probably here, right? He thought he was going to beat Cody Garbrandt. He's still got to go out there and take care of business against Damon Blackshire, who's going to preserve a lot of problems. He's a tough, willing, scrappy competitor. But I think Batista at the very least wins the first two rounds and just hangs on to survive, takes a decision at the very best, probably boxes up Blackshear, probably still wins by decision, to be honest. So if if I could hit an over on this, I probably would. Batista is such a proven finisher that you might be able to get a good line on him winning a decision or at least the fight hitting some overs.
1: Well, if that's going to be the case, and let's say you're right that this fight opens like between minus 250 and minus 300 for Batista that would make Blackshear anywhere from like plus 220 to plus 250, depending on how wide that line is going to be. Is there value on that number being you'd get two and a half times your money?
2: Yeah. But again, then you're just looking at a number more than playing the man. And when I do, well, I mean, that's tips, what I do. I, I look at yeah, Listen,
1: if I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet on the number. I don't give a shit what happens right, like right. B- between them. <laughs> right. Well, I would, I would suggest for you
2: that Black Blackshear as not really ever gassed out like i don't think he comes out here and gasses so he should be able to give you a good full three round effort he's never been finished at least not in the ufc sorry the last time he's never been finished in his entire career right he's got a split decision loss two unanimous decisions three unanimous decisions four unanimous decisions and a split those decisions pat sabatini great grappler danny sabatello excellent grappler puts his hand to gigi and chokes apparently right? But a really good grappler, and Fareed Basharat his last time out, or not his last time out, but his last loss, excellent grappler. So yeah, those guys are able to put him in bad spots and beat him. But he's never been knocked out. He's never been submitted. He's a BJJ black belt who literally just hits somebody with a twister. So I think Batista's last three wins are all submissions. Well, he's not going to submit. He's not going to submit Blackshear. Therefore, he's going to have to dominate him for three rounds. And again. For a guy that finishes so early all the time, the unknown is what's he going to look like in the second or the third round where he's traditionally not looked as good as in prior fights. So if you're just playing the number, yeah, honestly, and I mentioned underdogs are going to come through. Favorites are gonna shit in the apple pie. Yeah, I, I think this is not a terrible number to get if you could get it at 240.
1: Just as a public service announcement for people out there, if you are a Mario Batista and you do finish too early, You can still get chicks pregnant. That's just how that works. Hate to tell you, that's uh, not going to save your ass at all. But how are the judges in Massachusetts versus uh, what they would be in Vegas or Florida? I always know that Texas is one that you guys talk about that you might just get some wonky decisions. What's the judging like here?
2: Yeah, so the ongoing joke is, oh, man, they're going to such and such commission and such and such commission's judges are bad. But the reality of it is the UFC is bringing their own judges, not the UFC's judges, huge conflict of interest. But like the Nevada State Athletic Commission's judges seem to just go to all of the shows. It's like them governing everything. So you could be in New Jersey or you could be in Iowa or you could be in pretty much anywhere in the United States and it's the same idiots, right? It's still Sol <laughs> it's still, It's still just like the worst guys. They don't learn. There's no responsibility. There's no accountability. You could render the worst car going and it just psh, doesn't matter. Oh, well. Chris Lee, what were fight were you watching? Wasn't watching it at all. Oh, well. So it, it really doesn't matter if you're in Massachusetts. I think you're going to have that problem right across the map. So to me, yeah, yeah. If it's going to be a close fight between Batista and Black Shear, neither of them are from the East Coast. I don't know. I think that the fans would be more prone to get behind the guy that took the fight on... 40 days' notice, and is going to come out, <laughs> fought last week, right, is now taking this fight on three days' notice, goes out there, probably gets out finessed in the first round, right? That's the reality of it. I think the striking revenge is going to go towards Batista. If Batista wants to make some of the takedown, it'll be there for him. And I don't think Blackshear subs him in the first round, if he subs him at all, right? So the first round probably goes towards Batista. You might even get a better live betting number on Demond Blackshear, come the second or third round. It comes down to... Can he push this kid and make him work and make him tired and make him make a mistake? And again, you're playing the number, you're getting a plus 240. So does he win one out of every, does he win, I think, two out of every 10 times, three out of every 10 times to make it worth your while? Um, yeah, may, may, maybe he does. It's a fist fight. I, my whole thing is Batista's is not a proven beyond first round guy. He's taking on a guy that's never been finished. So this thing's going to go beyond that first round. That would probably be the place to hit him, and same thing as the Trevin Jones fight. Batista won the first round, right? If you would have hit Trevin Jones in that second round live, like plus six fifty or something, and then he goes out there and he knocks him out. So uh, Batista's super talented, but a lot of these talented guys, you know, they melt the longer the fight goes. The you know the book's still out on if he's going to be one of those guys or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a good way to put it, that the book is still out on that kind of thing, because everything that you've given in terms of example over the past three fights just kind of shows he knocks dudes out early. There's no there's nothing that we know beyond that in terms of the recent history that we have coming through. So maybe he can fight for 15 minutes. It's not going to be a problem. We just don't know. So you can't really hold that against him that he's finishing dudes early.
2: Yeah, and with Blackshear, he actually made his UFC debut on like three days notice, right? And wasn't in great shape, took on a Yusuf Zalal, and I just want to make sure I get this right, but he was, uh, uh, the topology saying he was only plus 120. It was higher than that. He was an underdog to Yusuf Zalal, took the fight on ultra short notice, won the first two rounds, got dead dog tired, got his ass kicked in the third round, and it ended up being a 10-8, and he got a draw, and that was his debut. But this isn't him on short notice. He just fought literally a week ago. And so the fact that he's comfortable with stepping up to dudes on 3 days notice, 4 days notice. He's got the mentality. If he's in shape, which I think he is, he took no damage which he didn't. He's a live underdog.
1: What uh, what's the pay scale for someone jumping up to being on a pay-per-view versus being on a fight night? Like you said he got yeah. paid twice for, you know, being there and winning when you are now in like the what is it the fourth to last fight on a pay-per-view. It's worth your while to take that fight, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's probably just signed a new contract, maybe I would think before his last fight. So the UFC works on a standard four-fight deal to start off. And uh, they'll either give you a 10 and 10 or a 12 and 12. Because he had taken a short notice fight in his debut. Almost certainly it was a 12 and 12. It might have been a 14 and 14 just because it was real short notice. But let's just say it was a 12 and 12. He gets a draw. So he only gets the twelve thousand dollar show money. His next fight, because he had just drawn would also be at $12,000. And he loses it to Basharat. So now his third fight in the UFC, he's still making $12,000 and $12,000. But he wins that one. Wins over Luan Lacerda. Now it would naturally bump up to 14 and 14. If you win again, it bumps up to 16 and 16 till the end of this contract. He's only got one fight left on the contract. The UFC won't let the majority of their guys fight out the deal. They'll re-sign you before that contract expires. So I would think coming off the win over Lacerda, they offered him a new three-fight extension on his deal and they may have bumped him up to a 16 and 16 and then he goes out there and he wins against jose johnson so if i had to guess he'd be making somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 plus 18 or 20 plus 20 because he's taking this one on short notice and it's a ufc pay-per-view maybe someone's patting him on the back maybe he thrown a 20 and 20 but but probably it's a it's a backstage handshake and he's not going to show that much on the straight up money side of things so is it worth it like you're a professional athlete fighting on a giant card against uh some skilled dude that's coming out there to take everything from you? It's like twenty thousand dollars and twenty thousand dollars enough. Like now. But I think most of these guys be the first one to tell you they don't want to work a desk job. They don't wanna they don't wanna be average, they wanna be above average. And the name of the game in fighting is who can suffer the most. These guys have suffered their entire careers, and this is nothing new to them. So when you talk to regional show fighters who are suffering equally as bad and making five hundred dollars, these guys are making forty grand, maybe. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. To them, it's it's worth it all day. If you're an NFL player, a basketball player, a tennis player, a golfer, anything like that, like <laughs> I, I I can't see it being worth your while in the slightest bit.
1: No, yeah, I, I I mean, there's always been the rumblings about the union and that kind of thing. Like I, I'm just shocked they still yeah. pay them so little.
2: Well, okay. So you and I have had discussions in our life and like, we're not exactly pro union guys. I wouldn't say that to, I know there's a lot of pro union guys that are listening to the show right now. So I'm not saying it that way. It's just, it's another level for somebody to take advantage and overstretch their reach. And we've worked at companies, Pat and I, that it's like a union would quite literally ruin this place because... It, they just didn't have the money they didn't have the money to support a union and take care of all these you know more money Like, listen it would have been great because we've would have been getting boosts and increases and all these different things but at the bottom line is it would have killed the company and then you don't have a job at all so what, what was the point of that um but yeah, for fighters I, 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 like I think in any you're sport you're gonna get taken advantage of and fighters it's a it's kind of like being a running back in the nfl like who knows how long your career is could be five years could be less you could go out there and be a hall of famer and play later on, but like, chances are, you're going to have a short little run at this thing and fight. Well, the average guy, the average guys getting maybe six fights in the UFC, maybe less the average, you know, not everyone's going to fight 10, 20, 30, 40 times in the UFC. The average is you fan out after your first deal. You fan out after some way, partway through your second deal, they cut you. So a union, well, yeah, you get cut, you get cut. That's fine. But maybe there's some type of compensation i'll i'll say one last thing we can move on we got a ton of fights to talk about still but uh i had this is just like you getting older and you getting more mature but like a couple years ago i had seen well-known kickboxing coach eric haycraft at a kentucky like legit if you're into american muay thai this guy's the man but regardless he had put this thing out that he's like in the ufc if you get ko'd and it's a knockout of the night bonus How much does your opponent get? $50,000. $50,000 someone would get for a knockout of the night bonus or a performance bonus to go out there and get that clean KO. And he's like, okay, the guy who gets KO'd should get 5K. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, no, 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 no. How could you reward someone who just got KO'd? How could you reward someone who just got destroyed? What if you're on the last fight of your deal and you know you're going to lose and there's only a minute left in the fight and you just quit on yourself? Like, you can't reward someone for a loss like that. and But he said something which didn't make sense at the time, but it stuck with me ever since. He's like, you're on the end of that KO reel for life. Your brain cells, your brain man has been donated to some highlight reel that they're going to make money off of playing on repeat over and over and over again. Your life's forever changed when the devastating KO loss. The other guy just gets 50 to put you away. You don't think 5K as a pat on the back wouldn't be a bad thing? And it's like, the older I get, it's like, the guy that got KO'd, what are you talking about? Like, he got a family, he just got KO'd. But uh, unions could do stuff like that. You're not going to be able to convince management to do it unless you had some type of backing. And Yeah, I'm as much as I am for the people, like, what am I going to do about it? Nothing. And I think that mentality, what am I going to do about nothing, is the reason they don't have a union. Just Nobody feels like they can stand up and do something about it, so they're all willing to just, you know, Get paid if you win fights. Who cares about the union? You're going to get paid. It's for the guys that lose fights and don't have a long career in the UFC. Those guys need the union. You think Aljamain Sterling wants a union? You think Sean O'Malley wants a union? Wow, well, maybe Aljamain. He's for the people. People don't like him, but he is for the people.
0: Yeah, I... most guys that
2: are getting paid, they're not jumping behind it. It's the guys that got beat up and fanned out and have a broken leg and you know they're hooked on Vicodin now because of post traumatic stress injuries, like they're 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 going to need taken care of and the top percent one percent the top two percent is it not on them to take care of that bottom end so there's an argument you could talk about that for hours on end yeah but, uh, it just i've, I've always noticed that argument. seems to be
1: sort of like the, the stars at the time really don't seem like they give a shit but it's the retired stars who are kind of dealing with their retirement and their injuries now even though that they're the ones who can probably afford some of this stuff depending on how long ago that they retired they're like oh shit and some of these guys might be in real bad shape and they got nothing and they can't do anything. So I think that's you now no one who's actively involved making a million dollars is going to be like, well, I'll make 700 grand so everyone else can make a bunch of money. It's just not going to work that way. That's the but,
2: facts. the Nature of the beast.
1: Yeah. But it's going to take something like that. And I, I mean, I don't even know. They might just cut all the bottom end guys and bring a new bottom end. There's tons of bottom end guys that you can feed, right?
2: Yeah, you know what I was watching the other day? It was The Replacements, the Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman. Great movie. But dude, that's the bottom line, dude. Someone wants to play because it's yeah, their but, dream. It's we their did dream. that. We tried replacement refs in the NFL. They will
1: play. We tried replacement refs and that didn't even work. Like anytime they've used replacement players in any professional sport, it's been a fucking disaster. But as long as you could keep your stars and your top end, and all you would just do is just pay them a little bit more, which overall might end up being more costly. But I, I just don't see it ever being in that position because it's an in it's like the PGA, like there's no union in the PGA. The difference is that all all these guys are like Know, have team, even the bottom end players on the PGA tour make so much goddamn money that they can afford to have the best lawyers, the best agents, all of this stuff to make sure that they get their due when it comes down. In the UFC, it's just completely different. Like you're you know, fighting up yeah. from, I mean, you're fighting for one thing. You're not at a country club making contacts, playing golf your entire life. So I would just guess that the background on a lot of these guys, like sport, individual sport by individual sport, you'd have golf and tennis on one side, MMA on the other side. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, completely different worlds. No doubt about it.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to Marlin Vera against Pedro Mune- Munoz. Munoz. Everyone knows I can't pronounce these names. I haven't seen them before. Munoz. The All right. Pedro. So Pedro is a plus 160 dog in this fight. Vera is a minus 185 favorite. Two and a half rounds is the over under and it's minus 350 to bet the over of three and a half rounds. What do you like here?
2: So at some point, and I say this every week, it's like, do I got the Cajones to take the shot on one of these underdogs? Or are you just going to keep skirting by with, I'll take the favorite, I'll take the favorite, I'll take the favorite. And then, and then to me, the favorites that, you know, you end up taking, but you're iffy on, you just move them lower. You just move them lower. But at some point, you got to take a shot on an underdog. And I'm kind of struggling back and forth in this one you know, internally, because I think Pedro Munoz is absolutely a live underdog, so with Marlon Vera, badass, gangster, fan favorite, absolutely love the guy, family man, hard worker, very entertaining, but man, oh man, he's the slowest starter in the game, Pat, almost guarantee he's going to lose the first round, it's just something he does, always, he's fought in world-class, high-level guys, and lost the first round, he's fought in bus yard bums and lost the first round, man. I don't know what the hell it is about him, but he's notoriously a slow starter and that is very problematic when you're the favorite in a three-round fight because there's only three rounds. You're giving up the first one, which means you need to win two and three, guaranteed and it's like the higher up you go up, it's going to be a problem. So we don't have to talk about all his fights, but believe me, he loses the first round in 85% of them. 85% of them, he's going to lose that first one. Let's just talk about that recency. Davey Grant loses the first round. Frankie Egger, he lost the first two rounds to Frankie Egger. A shell of a man, not himself, just really at the back end, and he lost the first two rounds to him, knocked him out in the third. Thank God he did because he would have lost to Frankie Egger. His fight with Rob Font, he lost the first round to Rob Font. It did go a full 25 minutes. He dropped him three times. Vera, like a steam engine, is going to pick up some momentum the longer the things go. 25 minutes is suited for him. 15 minutes, not suited for him. So old man Frankie Edgar beats Rob Font. And he gets old man Dominic Cruz. Now, this is very interesting to me. He's a big favorite over Dominic Cruz, who doesn't figure to have much of a chance in this. And wouldn't you know it, Dominic Cruz wins the first two rounds. <laughs> if this is a three-round fight, Dominic Cruz would have won the fight. Unfortunately, it's a five-rounder. And Cheeto Varek KOs him in the fourth in a fight that he was losing the first two rounds. So it's kind of just the nut. And then his last fight against Corey and he lost every single round. M- maybe did he win one? was it a 49-46 maybe but he proved in that fight he wrestling is not very good takedown defense isn't all that solid and the first two rounds against Sanhagen he gets taken down pat and he just stares at him he's just holding him he's staring at him and the whole commentary team it's as if they're figuring out they're like whoa man Marlon Vera's got to show more sense of urgency it's like does nobody watch this guy throughout like the last 8 years of his career like, this is who he is. He's just mad complacent and then turns the wheels on late in the fight. Knocks guys out late in the fight. Built for five rounds all day. But this is a three-round fight. And again, that's extremely problematic to me because if he gives up the first round of Pedro Munoz, which he probably will... Pedro's live to just win one of the next two rounds. He doesn't have the wrestling to probably consistently be a threat to Cheeto Vera, but he's got the jiu-jitsu. Like, if he was to catch a kick, if he was to fall on top of him, then he's going to have a significant grappling advantage. If, for whatever reason, Cheeto Vera wanted to take Pedro down, yeah, Pedro's going to be comfortable off his back. It's the striking. He's just... Hell on wheels. The guy just throws leg kicks. He throws, you know, big hooks left and right. Lots of volume. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Gets in your face. Makes it a dirty fight. He's lost some big fights. He's won some big fights. But same thing is Universal in almost all of them. He's coming forward and he's trying to mix it up. So... If Marlon Vera, who shows big volume in five round fights, if he could somehow get that volume, squeeze it into a three rounder, get a quick start, you know, show a sense of urgency. Yeah, I think he beats um, Pedro Munoz. I think he's the better fighter. It's the slow start that's got me thinking. He very well be fighting out of a hole and knocking out Pedro Munoz. Like, good luck, dude. The guy's got one hell of a chin on him. He's fought in very, very good guys. And I think he's got a a trick or two still up his sleeve. So if he goes out there, uses the leg kicks, minds his P's and Q's, uses his hands a little bit and just can fluster him, then I think he's got a shot of pulling it off. At the very least, what I would present to you as a guy that's sitting at home and saying, no, 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 Marlon Ver is my guy. I'm a big fan. I think he's going to win. At the very least, what I would present to you is live bet him after the first round where you will get a much better, probably even money. He's almost always even money after he starts as the favorite. Loses the first round and can be had at even money after the first. So I would say live betting opportunity if you're a Marlon Vera guy. If you're looking to take a straight up underdog, now is the chance to take it on Pedro, because that line wouldn't be there if he won the first, obviously. So um for me personally, yeah, I'm gonna have to take some underdogs here and there. And so yeah, so the official pick will be Pedro Munoz of the time of this, I would say of the time of this writing, but of the time of this recording,
1: I I'll take the dog shot on Pedro Munoz. Uh, Brad Tavares is a minus 270 favorite over Chris Wideman at plus 230. The over-under for rounds is one and a half, and the over for that is already up to minus 200. So looks like they think it's going to go at least a round and a half. Will it go to decision? I don't know. What are you seeing?
2: Yeah, I was actually surprised they set the line as one and a half just because psh- Seems like it's gonna go a little bit over, but uh with Chris Wideman he just snapped his leg in 17 seconds. And when I say he just snapped his leg in 17 seconds, I mean two years ago. He haven't seen him fight in two years. He's now in his very late 30s, I believe 39 years old. And he wants to end his career on a high note and come back for for one last kick at the can. And and I get it, it's 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 courageous and it's pretty cool. Like you gotta respect the hell out of it, but At the same time, like, what can you really expect out of him? He's been on for two years. He snapped his leg in 17 seconds. So can he last a round and a half? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But the UFC doesn't do things just to do them, right? Weidman gets paid a good chunk of money because he's a former champion. He's a marquee name. And even though he's on a terrible losing streak and hasn't fought in a couple of years, your contract doesn't reflect that, right? You're still getting paid because you're a marquee name. So they got to throw him in there with somebody. But at the same time, who do you throw him in there with? You don't want someone absolutely mauling him. You don't want to make him some colossal underdog coming back. He can't fight some young whippersnapper who's making $12,000 from the Contender Series. It just makes no sense, right? So you need some aged veteran. Some aged veteran who doesn't really pose that many threats. Brad Tavares is that guy. Brad Tavares has been in the UFC. He made his debut coming off of The Ultimate Fighter uh, in 2010, okay? So he's been in the UFC for 13 years, Pat. 13 years Brad Tavares has been kicking it. In those 13 years, he's rocking a 14-8 and record in the UFC. And he at no point has broken into the top 10 of the division. So he's very much has been a go-through-the-motions kind of guy. He's fought some good guys. He's gone the distance with Israel Adesanya. Back before Izzy was Izzy, he went the distance with a uh, Yoel Romero. He went the distance with some some pretty badass guys. He also got smoked in 44 seconds by Robert Whitaker, a badass. He got smoked by Edmund Shabazian in the first round, uh busted prospect. He got destroyed by his uh, Bruno Silva his last time out and still managed to go the distance with Dreykus to place. He's sandwiched in the middle of that. So he's so very, very middling, right? But to me, the biggest thing is. His wins, right? So his last win came in 2021 by split decision over a guy that's cut from the organization. And then before that, he won a fight at the beginning of 2021 over a decision over Antonio Carlos Jr., who's also cut from the promotion. Jotko, the win before that, cut from the promotion. Talos Ladies, retired. Elias Theodoru, God rest his soul, has passed away. Kyle Magalash has been cut for years. Nate Marquardt, totally experiencing CTE, man. Like It's sad what's happening to that guy. He's no longer kicking it for a long time. Pretty much every single win that Brad Tavares has ever had in the UFC, all of them, every single win he's ever had in the UFC, guys that are no longer with the promotion. He's that. He's their enforcer. He's, if you can't beat Brad Tavares, you're out of here. If you can beat Brad Tavares, good on you. But as I mentioned, these are, those are all of his wins, all of them by decision. He's had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. 10 of his last 11 wins are by decision. So I just think it's a perfect opponent for a Chris Wyman that you don't want him to get hurt. And he's taking on a Brad Tavares who shows pretty much no stopping power. So to think that Wyman's going to get tossed in there and get knocked out, probably not going to happen. Then with Brad Tavares, he doesn't really fight a whole lot of wrestlers. He only shows like, I think he shows like an 80% takedown defense, but against against non-wrestlers. And the last time he did fight a wrestler, he got taken down five times against Omari Akhmadov. Coincidentally enough, Chris Weidman, his last win in the MMA, was against Amari Akhmadov, where Weidman soundly outgrappled Amari. So Part of me thinks that Wyman does have the wrestling advantage. If he can get the fight to the ground, fantastic. If he can't, ugh, but maybe he can just hold him against the cage. Brad Tavares doesn't really show anything in the clinch. Brad Tavares doesn't show anything on the ground. Brad Tavares' cardio is really not all that good. Brad Tavares doesn't have any stomping power. So this is a really good comeback fight for Chris Wyman. In fact, one of the very few good comeback fights available for Chris Weidman. The UFC hammered it out of the park, putting this fight together. And Brad Tavares is a minus 270 favorite. Like in what world? So, this is probably the PRP pick because Wyman, did I mention he broke his leg in 17 seconds two years ago? Oh, yeah, probably the PRP pick, but I will take that plus money on Chris Wyman.
1: Put Wyman on the PRP. Don't be a coward. That's what
2: I'm saying. He will be the PRP. Okay, good. Pick. He's going to be all the way at the bottom, but he will be the guy that if he hits it and everybody else hit it, he would. Just adds so much value because he's a sizable underdog with a legitimate chance to win. And if he gets smoked out of there, he gets smoked out of there. But again, I, I'm not just picking him for absolutely no reason. I think I think he can win, and the number is hella tempting. I don't know if that's by design to get suckers like me to throw money in on Chris Weidman, but a winnable fight, I I will admit.
1: Well, yeah, Dick. So I'm looking at the prize picks fight time right now. It's 11 minutes. And with the over of the one and a half juiced up so high right now to minus 200, like if Weidman wins, is it by decision or does he beat him early? I think if he
2: wins, he wins by decision just because, dude, the age, the layoff. You think he would take the. So so that's the over uh, over 11 minutes. Yeah. 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 You said it was a one and a half at minus 200. Like it seems deep for a. One and a half over the history. We, all, we already talked about the history. Brad Tavares, he's in a fight. He's going over unless he's going to get knocked out. Is Weidman going to knock him out? Yeah, sure, it's MMA. More than likely gets his feet wet, gets some ring rust off, sees if he's got it anymore. And just for the record, the card's being headlined by Chris Weidman's good personal friend and longtime training partner, Aljamain Sterling. You know, this card... I think it's going to mean something. I think he's going to be in good shape, and he's going to have the whole team. And they've been grinding. So, if he puts his, if not even if he puts his best foot forward, if he puts his, you know, his broken foot half foot forward, I think he can win this fight, man. I really do, and the number's tempting.
1: All right, so going down, Gregory Rodriguez minus three sixty. Dennis, oh my god, Dennis T insulin is what I'm going to go with here, which is not even close. But you ha- ha- what's the name? How do I pronounce this?
2: Yeah, so I call him Tulin, but I, I think it's Tulin, but uh, yeah, yeah, Dennis, I call him Dennis Tulin.
1: T-u- Dennis, tulin. Yeah, de- de- Dennis to not going to win because he's plus 285. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, again, this comes down to what kind of fight does Gregory Rodriguez want to fight? Because Gregory Rodriguez has all the skills in the world to make this look effortless, go out there, show up and show out, and win relatively easy fashion. It's just, for whatever reason, he's got a knack of standing in front of his opponent. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, black belt, good ground game, great back take, doesn't usually finish the rear naked choke, doesn't usually keep his hooks in. But the ability to get to his back is certainly there. His grappling is certainly there. And against Dennis, it's going to be there all day long. But for a guy that's primarily a grappler, yeah, his losses are he stands right in front of the guy. Dung Young Park, he won, but he's out on his feet wobbling, playing rock'em suck'em robots with the guy. He just happens to clip him and get the win. His fight with Armin Petrosian, he pursued a couple takedowns, but for the most part, he was just very happy standing in front of him. He even diced him with a head kick at one point, but unfortunately got worked. But his last fighting is Bruno Ferreira. Bruno Ferreira is not very good. And this is a fight that RoboCop, Gregory Rodriguez wins all day long. Unfortunately, he just stands right in front of him. And what you're starting to see is like his durability is not that good. Been rocked by Park, but he took it. Got rocked by Petrosian, but he took it. This time, he didn't take it. He got hit. He stiffened up. He stiffened up bad. Big underdog win. Bad loss for Gregory Rodriguez. Now they're trying to feed you the same man at a big price tag versus a guy in Dennis Kulin who's pretty much a one-dimensional banger. He just wants to stand right in front of you and he wants to let his hands go. If RoboCop plays that game which he normally does. He, he normally plays that exact game. If, if he does that, yeah, not going to be a good time. If he goes out there and realizes, yeah, my chin might be a little bit compromised. I need a win to get myself back in the win column. Let's just take the path of least resistance. Screw the $50,000 performance bonus. Just collect your win money. Get your win money. That's a second check. Who cares about the bonus second check? A win second check. He takes him down. (laughs) His wrestling is more than good enough to get Dennis down, and his grappling is more than good enough to get Dennis out of there. So that's what I would suggest probably happens. Chulin on the regional scene in Russia, couldn't grapple, losses are by submission. Comes to the UFC, uh, Aliskabob Kurziev, beast, beast of a man. Beast of a man takes him down and subs him with a rear naked choke fairly effortlessly. His fight with Jung Yun Park, he got taken down. He got rear naked choke fairly effortlessly. Jamie Pickett, who's god-awful, just lost on this last card. Well, he doesn't actually have the ability to take him down, so he stands in front of him and Dennis KOs him. So to me, it's very much, is Gregory going to take the fight to the ground, which he has the tools to do? He has the tools that Jamie Pickett did not have. Take him down. Take him down submit him. So you do that, easy money, big favorite. Catches is a big favorite. You're going to hit an under here. You're going to hit an inside the distance. Very likely it would be the Rodriguez by submission. But boy, oh boy, man, he's got questionable ring IQ. So, like, we can only hope he does that. But if he decides, hey, let me show you guys my chin ain't that bad, then you're just playing with fire. I expect him to do the right thing, Pat Mayo. I very much do. But you get burned so often, your mind starts to tell you, like, what's my worst case scenario? What's the worst thing that could happen? And that's RoboCop thinking he's undestructible. Anybody that's seen the movie knows you could beat his ass. You got to mob him up. Got to mob them up and hopefully have, you know, lots lots of people around. That would be the way to do it. In this case, fist fight, anything can happen. But I, I would say this fight hits the ground. Gregory Rodriguez puts that rear naked choke into play. So sign me up for rear naked choke. First round submission, maybe an under one and a half, uh, maybe second round. I can see a second round submission. But even if it's in the second round, probably still hits that under one and a half.
1: Well, I like what you said there about the second round, because on prize picks, the over-under fight time is five minutes. So if the second round starts, you end up winning that one. So I, I'm, I'm now considering this one based on the way that you've talked about it. I do know if I'm going to play a DraftKings lineup, this guy Dennis T is going in my lineup. He'll be like the cheapest guy on the board and he might win it with a first round knockout.
2: You know what? That That is the win condition and those are the guys that score big. And I, like last week, I actually had a hell of a week last week. The one that got me was this Francis Marshall. He loses this uh, Isaac Dalgarian. And on the show, Pat and I mentioned, or uh, yeah, Pat and I mentioned on the show, like if you play fantasy games that are reliant on somebody scoring a first round finish, like all of Dalgarian's wins are in the first round. That wasn't like a lot of people were like, oh dude, Francis Marshall's dead to me. He's dead to me. Because I always tweet out if a guy really screwed me, which on paper, Francis Marshall really screwed me. uh, You know, the guy's dead to me. Nah, he's not dead to me. He did nothing wrong. That Isaac Dalgarian guy did everything right i seriously underestimated him the guy's a beast of a man in fact at one point i was fairly convinced that he was blind and that francis marshall was made of braille because he was putting hands on him man and it was non-competitive right throughout my bad my terrible pick on that one and so yeah we hit our two-fight parlays, we hit our four-fight parlays, we hit our six-fight parlays. If I would have gotten that one, we would have hit the eight and the ten. would have been a colossal night, but all the same, it was like, dude, Dalgarian just showed up. But he was a first-round guy. He was a first-round win condition guy. And even though I picked against him, you can still recognize that he was live for these first-round-type spots. Dennis ain't Dalgarian. Dalgarian's a real deal. Dennis is not. But similar to the fact that his win-condition is a quick finish, he's going to be lowly owned, he's going to be lowly priced, and he has very high upside.
1: Austin Hubbard is minus 170. Austin Hubba Hubbard and Kirk Holobah is plus 145. This is the closest fight that we've seen on this card so far, I think.
2: Yeah, so this one's an interesting one. So it's the ultimate fighter finale. And we're talking about 11 fights, but there's going to be a 12th one. So I think the episode's on tomorrow. uh, And then we're going to know who's fighting Brad Katona in the finals. But there's actually one fight from the Ultimate Fighter that's going to be on this card that just hasn't even been announced yet. Holobo versus Hubbard is. So just this is the most whack season of the Ultimate Fighter you've ever seen, Pat. Uh, Clark McGregor versus Michael Chandler. And they decide, yo, instead of picking teams, they always pick teams. Instead of picking teams, we're just going to go veterans versus up-and-comers. So half of the season is guys that have already fought in the UFC. The other half is schlubs who've not fought in the ufc and they're not like 23 year old up-and-coming guys that you know the ones that are young are too green can't fight ufc vets the other guys have just there's a reason they never got their call up and then i i said right from the get-go conor mcgregor should get the aged veterans and michael chandler should get the prospects because the prospects would learn a lot from Michael Chandler. Here's a guy with excellent work ethic who's worked for everything he has. He's got good striking skills. He's got good wrestling skills. He's got good coaching mentality. He could show the young up-and-comers a, a route up. The old veterans, these guys had their shot. Kurt Holuba, this is his third time in the UFC. He lost one single fight in the UFC, I think in 2013. Cut after one. He was on a Strikeforce deal. UFC bought force. He came out on a one-fight deal. Lost, cut, comes back like five years later, goes 0 3 cut now he's on the ultimate fighter and he's about to win it and get into the UFC for a third time like those are the guys that Conor McGregor should have been coaching because those guys would see like damn dude I've been training longer than this guy and I could probably beat this guy's ass on a good day and he's got the Ferrari and he's got the alligator skin boots and the Versace and like I think it would motivate the old veteran to be like, this is my last run. I got to make it happen. What are the young kids going to learn from him? Nothing, nothing. Young kids don't learn nothing from him. And the veterans, they all know as much as Chandler anyways. So it was just stupid. And by the way, to no surprise to anybody, the veterans absolutely whomped the (laughs) prospects. Conor McGregor's team went one in seven and it's a straight beatdown, but this is the finals of one of the beatdown. both guys are from team chandler both guys have been in the ufc kurt holoba 35 years old what's 36 years old sorry what's super cool about this one is his manager calls him up and he's like dude i got you on the ultimate fighter and holoba's kind of like ah i might be done man i think i might be done like you know i'm not in great shape and i'm a little bit overweight and, and i don't know like why would you get me on the ultimate fighter but it's like, dude, let's do it. He's 0-4 in the UFC. He was 0-1 in strike force. And he had won a fight on Dana White's contender series, but it got overturned to a no-contest. So he's had zero success at the upper level, like you know, UFC type of promotions. But his manager gets him off the couch, gets him into the ultimate fighter house. First fight he takes on Lee Hammond, who's Conor McGregor's boy, some grappling whiz from Ireland, and he he straight beats him down. His second fight with Jason Knight, Dana says this is the fight of the season. The fans were all like, dude, this was the fight of the season, best fight of the season. Fair. But fight of the season would be suggested was competitive. This was a one-sided ass kicking from Kurt Hollibaugh and Jason Knight, who's a legitimate fighter. UFC veteran, bare-knuckle boxing world champion, BJJ black belt, good fighter. And Kurt, Kurt Hollibaugh put an absolute beating on him. So... Now he's in the finals. He's like flirting with retirement. 0-4 in the UFC, 36 years old. Then you win a couple fights on the Ultimate Fighter and you're back in, baby. It's like the sport is a roller coaster and he's looking to capitalize on the highs. He's seen the lows. He's looking to capitalize on the highs. So he's got a tough fight here against Austin Hubbard, who's definitely younger, definitely probably a little a little more spry. But again, I just think a guy that goes through the motions. He's 31 years old. He actually has wins in the UFC. He went three and four before getting released and ending up on the UFC. So a lot more success. Guy's got three wins in the UFC. He's got seven fights overall, between one stint, not like Kurt Holuba. The thing is, is that he's fought way lower level of competition. And again, it seems to me like volume pressure fighters that stay in his face and put, put some volume on, they're going to be very effective with him. They can land, they can push him backwards. He likes to mix in his wrestling, but Holubo's a solid guy with some decent wrestling. And I think Holubo's got a chip on his shoulder, got nothing to lose, absolutely nothing to lose. And think he stands in front of him and he throws down. So Hollabaugh actually almost beat Rowney Barcellos back in the day, won the first two rounds against him and got clipped in the third. But outside of that, he's very durable. His cardio seems good. And he's coming off some some real good momentum from the ultimate fighter. I think it was the confidence boost that he needed. He's got big power. I think he can spring the upset over Austin Hubbard. So so I will take the underdog shot here on Kurt Hollabaugh to get the job done. And it'd be nice to see a, a, a savvy old guy like that Pick up a big win, which would definitely be the biggest win of his career. I would say,
1: I think you need to go with a a Wideman top ticket.
2: Holaba Wideman, I got another underdog, uh, Pedro Munoz.
1: But okay, if, there we go, dog, those, guys, top, those guys, those that, guys, that's hit, what I, you know, that's what I'm playing.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. For and sure. And I'll You're find some like women dogs. I'll,
1: I'll bet uh Andrea Lee plus 285, throw her on too.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that. It'd be, uh, Something like that will be will crush my ticket and make your ticket, but it would make the ticket.
1: Uh, if people don't know me, I'm Pat Mayo filling in for Paul Shaughnessy at Paul Shag on Twitter. Cody and I mean Cody and I have been doing this show on and off for ten years, as him and Paul have been doing it every week for ten years. He used to do the DraftKings picks on my show with me, but most people out there watching, if they know me, know that I don't really care about the UFC. I'm the most casual UFC person of all time. So I got to ask you. I didn't even know Conor McGregor was on TV right now. What's going on with Conor? Conor at this point is he gonna fight again?
2: Yeah, so Conor is real good at keeping himself relevant. I think all the greats, uh, if you you know if you've got that long lasting ability to draw, it's like you have to stay in the headlines. And you know people talk about influencers, all this bullshit. It's not even so much like they're influencing anybody. It's as much as they keep their name in the headlines because there's no such thing as bad publicity. It's just publicity. It's what makes you a star. John Jones got three DUIs. Dude, one time he hit a pregnant lady and ran off. Yeah, but still, pound for pound goat. People tune in to see him. So Connor's like that. Like he doesn't fight all that much, but he'll punch out an old man in a bar. And he'll, I mean, there's some more serious allegations than that that I just don't really feel like getting into. But all the same, it's like whatever his name comes up, it's some type of controversial story. And People want to see him. So he could fight once every five years if he wants. But whenever he comes back, it's going to be a Floyd Mayweather mega fight. It's going to be a big mega fight in Abu Dhabi against Khabib. He's going to get paid boatloads of money to fight once. When uh, Demon Blackshear had to fight five times, to get paid 20 to 20, man. God damn it. That's what you don't want. You want to be like Conor. So in that sense, yeah, he wants to fight. Talking about fighting Michael Chandler in December. He's also talking about bare knuckle boxing, some TikToker right now. He's also talking about taking a pro boxing match is dude. He can, can we Man get Pacquiao. him versus
1: he, there's no, there's no chance he'd ever fight Jake Paul, right? Cause Jake Paul would just beat the shit out of him. Wouldn't he?
2: Well, he would definitely fight Jake Paul. It's all about the money being right, but
1: yeah.
2: But that's what Jake Paul does to everybody, right? Like all of these guys would probably beat Jake Paul if all was fair, but he's weight bullying them. Like he's a natural He's a natural cruiserweight. I mean, the guy's probably looks good at 195, but he's able to get down to 185. So let's call him a middleweight. But he's like he's every bit of a middleweight and he's got every benefit and advantage, you know, in putting a good team together. It's all work ethic, it's all skill. He's doing it all himself. But like, yeah, he's a natural middleweight and he's fighting guys that are 55ers at best. Carl McGregor's best days are at 145. Nate Diaz's best days are at 155. But if you catch them, 20 years into their career on the back nine and your two-way is higher than them and it's a boxing match. They can't take you down. They can't kick you. Could you not beat them? Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure you could beat them. But it's all about the money, dude. You think those guys care? Nate Diaz apparently got paid $20 million for that last fight. You think he gives a shit that he lost? No. He fought in the UFC like 26 times. You think he got paid $20 million in those 26 fights? Probably not. Probably not. So this is good for business, dude. And People want to hate on the guy people that are pro-union hate on the guy you know like he's the only one getting these guys paydays man which is Tyron funny because Willey is a bum it's funny Any because jake paul came out bump, as like a big pro-union
1: guy didn't he?
2: he he's the only guy pushing for them and he's got clout and he's got pull. and it's like you need a bunch of those guys to get together and like he's not even an mma fighter mma fighters and their fans universally hate the guy <laughs> and he's like quite literally the only guy trying to get anything going for them getting them paid set up undercards setting up big fights, getting them publicity. Uh, Yeah, again, but he's got a similar strategy to Conor McGregor. It's just like, just talk as much as you can. If it's good, great. And if it's bad, sure, who cares? Because as long as they're talking about it, that's their main thing. That's how they make money, and he makes a ton of money. But yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's funny that he's like getting these guys career Changing paydays, life-changing paydays, and he's like fighting for a union, and he's just like publicly number. Well, why wouldn't he fight a heavyweight? It's just like why would he do that? Why 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 doesn't he find a real boxer? Also, why the hell would he do that? Like, come on, guys, play the game a little bit. Well, I don't like these kind of fights. I don't watch it. But guess what? Two million pay per views. Other people are watching it. So,
1: yeah, is what I, I, it is. I watched the last one. I watched the Diaz one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I did. It got, it honestly got a little bit sad like halfway through. It just felt like he's going through the motions. But uh, in terms of if you're a Nate Diaz fan, get that bag, dog. Good for you. Who cares? And they're thinking about fighting again in MMA, maybe get paid another 10 or something to fight him in MMA. Great. How could this be considered bad for anybody?
1: So, Connor versus Chandler is a possibility for sometime this year, potentially.
2: Yeah, well, this is, I'll leave you with this last piece here, that Connor's really good at just staying on top of this the flavor du jour, right? So, like, Charles Oliveira wins the title, and it's like, I'll fight Charles. And everyone's down with it. They're dude, holy shit, man, Conor McGregor versus Charles Oliveira? Sign me up. And then Dustin Poirier could win a big fight, and then it will be like, oh, f- I want to fight P-Head again, his wife's in my DMs. And it's like, oh, shit, dude, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier again. And then Justin Gaethje just puts on this hella performance, dude, hella performance. And it's like, he tweets out, he's like, everybody knows it should be me and you, Gaethje. You want to call your shot or what, dog? It's like, are you not fighting Chandler? And the only reason for the record, the only reason he's fighting Chandler is because Michael Chandler fought Tony Ferguson and he front kicks him in the face and folds him. And Conor McGregor just tweets out like, me and you, Chandler, you earned it. He does this to everybody, everybody. If you win a fight and he happens to be watching, that's my next guy. So I, I wouldn't feel good if I was Michael Chandler at all, because similar to a small dog, look, his attention spans just not there, man. He's he's a little chihuahua, you know. He's like he's like Scrappy Dude, not Scooby doo Scrappy Dude he just wants to fight everything, doesn't really want to fight anything. So make it worth his while. Bring enough Scooby snacks to the table. The fight will happen. The fact that they're coaching the Ultimate Fighter would suggest this fight's close-ish to happening. Probably happens. But at the same time, man, if somebody wins between now and then in December and looks decent doing it, he's gonna he's probably gonna take that. Can't box without the UFC's consent. Can't bare knuckle box obviously without the UFC's consent. So like, if he's gonna fight, it'll be an MMA fight. It's up to the UFC to determine what's their biggest thing. He could get potentially beaten the shit out of by Michael Chandler, and we can make X amount of money, or he can make the exact same amount of money. X amount of money we'll also draw to fight. Tony Ferguson and Tony's whack job talks all types of crap. And Conor's whack job talks, uh, talks all types of crap. It's going to sell. And it's a way more favorable fight for Conor McGregor. And if he wins, we can sell more of these fights. (laughs) He gets smoked by Chandler. We can't sell shit. It's like, why, why is that the fight that they would want to make? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. And Chandler's also not young. Like, Oh, if he beats McGregor, we'll use him to sell stuff. Nah, he's kind of at the tail end of his career as well. So dangerous, dangerous, um, But the UFC is the ultimate marketing machine and they're the number one promotion for a reason. So whatever they want to do, I'm sure they've got it figured out.
1: Yeah, just it doesn't seem like the biggest money fight. Like you said, rolling it over forward doesn't make a ton of sense. We'll see what ends up happening there. They'd be better off just letting him fight Jake Paul and taking a cut of Conor's profits.
2: I would assume so, yeah. Or I mean, yeah, exactly. 100%, 100%. Just book those kind of fights. He even says to himself, oh, Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg we we'll do a billion dollars. We'll We'd do a billion dollars. It's are not wrong. It would be like the biggest fight in the history of fights. And they're not they're both non-fighters. They're just a couple of billionaires who are eccentric, who run social media companies, therefore, their names are just all over the place all the time. Therefore, everybody knows them. Therefore, it sells. It's all the marketing. It doesn't matter who the fighter is. You mentioned earlier we talked about replacements, you know, golf. People tune into golf to see good golfers golf. They want to actually see the best golfers golf. Football, you want to see. The best guys—that's the lie. People love watching college ball, and I suppose those guys, in the grand scheme of things, are just not really good. But yeah, fighting falls into the college sports category. Like, I don't think people really care if it's a really good fight or a really bad fight. They just want to see a fight. And you see every year, every week, right? It's this crazy, drag them out, sloppy, greasy, terrible technique, but a fun fight. And people are like, "I do fight of the year, fight of the night." But what was all that technical about it? Well, it was just a good fight, right? And I think that's what they're looking at. Oh, it's a good fight. These are the last... These are the last headliners for the UFC uh, results. Okay, so last week, you got Vincente Luque versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Five-round, main event, high-level guys, grapple fest. Both guys try to initiate the grappling. Both guys grapple on each other. The fight came down to who was grappling, who was in a favorable position more often than not, not a great fight, but tons of grappling right before that in Nashville is Corey Sanhagen versus Rob font, right? It was 25 minutes of holding him down. It was all grappling. Uh, Holly Holm versus Bueno Silva. That's what it was going to be before that little ninja choke, right? Then you got your Justin Poirier, Justin Gaethje. You got your Tom Aspinall's. You got your guys that are capable of going out there and performing and winning, but at the highest level, it's a lot of grappling. And so I don't know. Does grappling sell or people are people into that? No, no, no is the bottom line. So just
1: the same way that they're not into amateur wrestling.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Amateur wrestling is actually super fun to watch, but you're right. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. And it's just so it's just not, it's like jujitsu. There's just, there's no, I know some people like it. I get it, but it's a reason why it's like 0.1% of the market because it's just not everybody is into it.
1: Who do you have in a Zuck versus Elon? I'm looking at their height and weight right now. If, i kind of really hope this happens i I don't know why i'd be weirdly excited for it to your point like it's just a spectacle i think that's the one good thing about be it mma be it boxing like a fight's a fight and if you can just see people that have your interest in who they're fighting then it really doesn't matter you're gonna be there whether it's good or bad is kind of irrelevant at that point if you you were if you
0: were
2: watching uh john jones john jones versus i don't know I don't give a shit. Whoever the next best guy was at 205 or heavyweight doesn't matter. Let's throw. We got John Jones in the ring. We got Khabib in the ring. We got George in the ring. We got any of those guys in the ring. Okay. And two drunk guys in section 327, just right over from you start to fight. What are you going to watch. You're going to watch this title fight in the main event. You're going to watch the two drunk guys. Of course you're going to watch the true two drunk guys. It doesn't matter the level, right? It's just that both guys are getting in there doing the damn thing. So that's what I see 100%. If, if it's just a fight that sells, it doesn't matter what the technique is. If it sells and there's interest, people will watch it. If Zuckerberg versus Elon doesn't happen, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It doesn't look like it's going to happen because Elon's banged up, way older, weight classes. I mean, sure, he's the bigger man, but I think he gets absolutely crushed by Zuckerberg.
1: Okay, hold, hold let's on, say, let's hold, say he's hold on a second. Let's hold say on he's a second. out. Z- yeah. Zuckerberg's Zuckerberg's basically like a lower body fat percentage me. He's 5'8", 154.
2: So, seen him without I, a shirt,
1: yeah, he's, he's ripped like he he's he's ripped. low body percentage. Like, if he had my body fat percentage, he'd be the same as me, he'd be 5'8, 165, but he's 10 pounds lighter than me in better shape. It says that Elon is 6'1, 165. There is zero chance that guy weighs 165 pounds. He looks like, no, he's like, well, he's like
2: two, yeah, he's like 230. He's built like Donald Trump, man. He's like a 1950s fridge and <laughs> you know, big upper body, big thick dude, but yeah, he's a lot older. He's got a ton of injuries. One guy trains, the other guy doesn't. All I'm saying though is like Dana's saying that's the biggest fight that could be put together and it's bigger than any UFC fight. These guys work their entire lives. Nobody cares. You could just throw Zuckerberg and Elon and it would sell even more. Let's say Elon can't fight and they said, "Oh, Zuckerberg's going to fight Kanye West instead." <laughs> you don't think that sells? Pat. Of course it does. Anyways though, I got it I got to hit the run and we got three fights left so I'm just going to give you a quick rapid fire shot the PRP we call it a day
1: okay hold on a second Brad Katona we don't know his opponent as of this recording so maybe you can tweet out who you like is the winner of that when it gets released
2: yeah, I would say Brad Katona either way. Like he's either going to fight Cody Gibson, who's fighting Rico DeSolio. I would say Cody Gibson wins that fight if all things were fair, but he blew out his knee on the show. So he's fighting super compromised. Maybe Rico pulls something out, but Cody Gibson's the better fighter. And then if either guy fights Katona in the finals, Katona wins. Decision, probably competitive. Katona will be a big, uh, a little too big of a favorite, but he's talented. He wins. Andre Petroski probably just knocks out Jeremy Mirshard. He's much better wrestler. If the fight hits the ground, I think he stays out of harm's way. He's very physically strong. Mirshard doesn't got a great chin. Coming off that, na- that last knockout loss, I think he's compromised. Petroski probably bowls him over. Good live betting spot, though, because again, Mirshard's been known to pull off upsets. The later the fight goes, Petrosky gas tank, still an issue for him, but... Physically is strong, probably runs right through him. Andrea Lee versus Natalia Silva. Natalia Silva looks like the complete package. Uh, She's got good striking, fast hands. She's winning fights. She's looking consistently a lot better. I think she pieces up Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee will look to wrestle a lot more in this fight. That's just not who she is at her best. She's starting to slow down a little bit. Cardio hasn't been as good as it has been. And her training situation is a little bit wonky. So I would think Natalia Silva, big favorite women's MMA. I would say don't do it. I would take Natalia Silva. And then Marina Rose versus Karine Silva. I think I would take the flyer plus money on Marina morose Super inactive, but uh, an excellent boxer. Excellent boxer. She misses a whole lot of punch, but it's a high work rate. High work rate of hitting air, hitting air. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Air, 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 air. Take down defense, not terrible. Trains on American top team. And she's got a knack of just going the distance, keeping it competitive and, and beating these unproven prospects. Kareem Silva, she looks badass. But she's also had bad spots in her career. Her fight on the contender Series, it's a come-from-behind win against uh, Yan Kuihi, the Chinese fighter. Bad spot. Her fight with Pollyanna, Bion- uh, Pollyanna Botello smokes her out of there. Ketlin Vieira smokes out of there. Quick submissions. If she doesn't get that quick submission, she'll slow, she'll fatigue. Moroz might have a striking advantage. Enough for me to jump on her and pick her. This card, again, favorite heavy, but we're going to go with Aljamain Sterling, Zhang Wai Ian Ma- Gary Machado, Mario Batista, um, Pedro Munoz, dog number one, Chris Wyman, dog number two, Gregory Rodriguez, Andre Petroski, Natalia Silva, Maureen Moroz is dog number three, Kurt Holba, dog number four, Brad Cotona. once he gets announced, he'll be the favorite.
1: All right, that was the PRP. You can follow Cody on Twitter at CJ Saftic in case he makes any sort of amendments to any of that stuff. Once again, go to prizepicks.com and use code DOP to get a deposit match of up to $100 or just handily click on the link that's down in the description what do you make of these ones these are the three that I'm going to roll with here Brad Tavera more than 11 minutes total in that fight Gregory Rodriguez more than five I see the second round to start more than five minutes and Ian Gary less than 57 and a half significant strikes $200 pays a thousand dollars is what I'm going to go with what do you think
2: yeah, I, I like all of those. And you mentioned earlier on the show, I think it was the Aljamain Sterling three takedowns. I would take the over on that as well.
1: Oh, we might as well just, just throw that one on there too, huh? That's it. Sterling more takedowns. Well, now $200 pays $2,000. Oh shit. There. Double my money on prize picks. $200 to $2,000. I want to do a flex play? No, I don't want to do a flex play. I want to do a power play. need to get all of them. Correct. Remember to rate and review the Dogger Pass podcast, by the way. If you have never done that on the audio podcast, that is a way that you can help out this show for free. Cody and Paul provide you endless entertainment week after week. And sometimes uh, they have to go away for a little bit and I have to step in to try to help out. So hopefully it wasn't too big of a drop off, especially for a pay-per-view card. If you want football action, betting action, whatever it may be, check out the Mayo Media Network, sub to that where you're watching this or the Pat Mayo Experience Audio Pat podcast. For Cody, I'm Pat. We'll see you next time.